A moment's prayer before the sermon. May the words that I speak now, the thoughts and the feelings that we all now experience, be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Sometimes this Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, has been known as Low Sunday. I assume because after the great high of Easter, people come feeling pretty flat on the Sunday following Easter. But you've been doing a great job so far this morning of keeping the Easter joy going. I said to a friend in an email uh, during this week that I was recovering from Easter. And he said, you haven't, can't be recovered from Easter yet. It lasts for 50 days. And it's true, the season of Easter takes us right through to Pentecost. But this Sunday after Easter is a time for us to reflect about the significance of the great events that we celebrated last Sunday. And I wonder whether you think it's easier for us to cope with the resurrection than it was for those first disciples, or more difficult for us to cope with the resurrection than it was for those early disciples. Do nearly 2,000 years worth of history make it more comprehensible and understandable or less? One thing that strikes me is that those early friends and followers of Jesus must have been incredibly confused because these things were happening one after another, bang, 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 when they were not expecting them. They were not, despite everything he'd said, they were not really expecting him to be put to death in such a cruel and barbaric way. Despite all he'd said, they were not really expecting that three days again they would be seeing him again, alive again. They were not really expecting any of it. And they must have been very, very confused. What was happening and what it all meant must have sunk in very slowly indeed. They took it on board in bits, different ones of them at different times. And in our gospel stories, we find the different aspects of the resurrection story expressed in different ways. So if you read, for example, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, it's carefully spread out over this period of 40, 50 days. Christ is raised to new life. Then after a time, he ascends to be with the Father. And then a time after that, the Spirit comes to energise his friends and followers with his life and his spirit. The reading you heard this morning from John's Gospel shows that those three things, new life, going to be with the Father, ascension, and the coming of the Spirit, are all part and parcel of the one thing. And in a sense, they all occurred on the first Easter Sunday. So there they are, the reading we heard read this morning, begins on the evening of the first Easter Sunday. They've heard the news from the women at the tomb that he's been raised and in total confusion, 
and fear for their lives, they are gathered once more in the upper room where they shared the Last Supper with Jesus. And suddenly, he's there with them. New life. And suddenly, when Thomas appears, comes a week later, and Jesus is there again, suddenly Jesus is saying, touch me. Put your hand in my wounds. Whereas on the first Easter Sunday to Mary in the garden, he'd said in John's Gospel, don't touch me because I'm not yet ascended. So what's the implication when he speaks to Thomas that he has ascended? He is with the Father. And on that first Easter Sunday in the room, he breathes the Spirit on them. You get the coming of the Spirit from Jesus to his followers. And those early friends and followers of Jesus must have been very confused. It took weeks and months for the implications of it all to sink in. And they took it in at different times and they had to learn the lesson several times over in different ways. And some Gospels show it to you spread out over time and John's Gospel shows it to you all collapsed into one event. But they're all aspects of the same reality, the new life of Jesus. And it takes time to take it all in, that Jesus has been raised to new life, that he is now at one with the Father, and that his Spirit is going to flow from him to his friends and followers and his agents who are left in the world. But there's one other thing that they needed to learn. And it's this. That the Jesus who they encountered raised to new life is the same Jesus as had been crucified. And as I've said before, it is not that in the resurrection... God declares that the crucifixion was a big mistake. It's not that the resurrection blots out the crucifixion so that you can forget about Good Friday and only concentrate on the frothy side, the happy side of Easter Sunday. Because what God raised to new life was the self-giving love of Jesus for God and for other people that took Jesus to the cross. The Jesus who is raised to new life has got the marks of the crucifixion in him. Because what God affirms in raising Jesus to new life is the self-giving love of Jesus. The sacrificial love of Jesus. The love of Jesus that took him to a cross for the sake of others. That's what God affirms. And so as Jesus appears amongst his friends and his followers in that upper room, he has the wounds of the crucifixion in him. They're not healed over. They're not obliterated.
They are part of his risen life. That self-giving love is part of his risen life. And the early friends and followers of Jesus needed to know that. But one of them wasn't there. Just like you and I were not there physically. To physically see this thing. Thomas is our link to this story. Thomas gets criticised over the centuries for being a sceptic, for being a doubter. But Thomas stands in this story for you and me. Because like us, he wasn't physically there when Jesus appeared. And Thomas wants to know that the others are not having a collective hallucination. That grief has not sent them mad. That they're not imagining things. That they're not being taken over by other forces. But that what they are encountering is indeed the Jesus they knew raised to new life again. And so he says, unless I can see the wounds in him, I won't know that it's the same person you're meeting now as we knew before he was crucified. Thomas needs to know. And of course, as Jesus appears... A week later, when Thomas is there, Jesus comes again and says those wonderful opening words that he says both on the evening of the first Easter Sunday and a week later. His opening words are the same. Peace be with you. The most comforting words I think you could hear. His first words are words of peace. In all this confusion, not knowing what's going on, his first words are words of peace. Peace be with you, he says. And then he looks at Thomas and says, Okay, you can do what you asked to do. Come and touch my wounds. If you want to know that I'm alive again and that what you're looking at is the Jesus who was crucified, that it's the Jesus who was crucified who's now raised to new life, if that's what you want to know, come and touch the wounds in me. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Put your finger here. See my hands. And Thomas doesn't need to. The text doesn't tell us that Thomas touched. As soon as Jesus was standing in front of him and he could see the wound for himself, he didn't need to physically touch them. He didn't need to test it out. He could see for himself. He could know for himself. And Thomas now 
says something that nobody else in any of the Gospels says anywhere. He calls Jesus, my Lord and my God. It's the deepest understanding that anybody in the gospel stories has has of who and what Jesus is and what the significance of all this is. My Lord and my God, says Thomas, who wanted to be sure, but when it came to it, didn't need the physical touch. He could see. And he is the link to us. Because as we encounter Jesus, raised to new life and alive again in our world, when we encounter him, we know it is Jesus because we can see the wounds of self-giving love in him. When we encounter him, We can see the wounds of self-giving love in Jesus. That's how we know it's him and not some mirage or trick of our imagination or corporate hallucination. We can see the wounds of self-giving love that will take him, that took him and will take him to a cross. We can see it in him. And we can see it in him when we encounter him. And we can see it in his body on earth, the people who try to follow him. Because the very interesting thing in that other reading that we heard this morning from the Acts of the Apostles is that these early friends and followers of Jesus, in all their confusion, as they're trying to sort out what on earth is happening and what it all means and what on earth they're meant to do next, they start to live out the peace of Christ that he gives them. They start to live out the love of Christ that they have learned from him, that they've now received from him, They start to be self-giving. And so when any in their number or beyond has need, they help them out. They stop thinking of things as just their own possession. They're things they hold on trust for the benefit of others. And when people encountered the early Christians, one pagan century later said, perhaps more than a century later, one pagan said, see how these Christians love one another. It was remarkable. It drew attention. The quality of the self-giving nature of their love. It's as if you can see the wounds of Christ's self-giving in the body of his followers, his body on the earth. And so like Thomas, we don't physically need to touch the physical resurrected body of Jesus. We see the wounds of self-giving love in him and we see it, self-giving love, in his followers.
One of the things that the followers of Jesus do is they share the peace and the forgiveness that they have experienced and received from Christ. And that takes us to that really difficult verse in the middle of that reading from John's Gospel. Jesus breathes the Spirit on them. He gives them his Spirit and says to them, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. And if you say their sins are retained, they're retained. A really difficult, difficult verse. Let's be plain about what it's not saying. It is not saying that any human being, any leader of the church anywhere, can decide and tell God who God is to forgive. God is a God of love and forgiveness. The problem is that most people do not know that God has forgiven and does forgive them. That God wants to relate to them and will accept them and will work with them to change them into the sort of people that God wants them to be. Most people don't know that. So what we're hearing Jesus doing in John's Gospel is not saying that human beings can tell God who to forgive and who not to forgive. Human beings don't have that much power over God and God's things in the world. What Jesus is saying is urging his friends to tell people that God forgives them. Because if his friends and followers on earth do not tell people that God has forgiven them and does forgive them, how are they going to know? If they're told that they're forgiven, then they have a chance of responding and accepting the forgiveness and being renewed. If nobody ever tells them that they're forgiven, they haven't got a chance of responding and being changed. And if they don't have a chance to respond, then unforgiven they remain, not because God doesn't forgive them, but because they don't have the opportunity to respond because the friends and followers of Jesus have not been fulfilling their mission and doing their job of sharing the peace and the love and the forgiveness of God and the new life of Christ in the world round about them. And in these stories, we see the friends and followers of Jesus gathering together, sharing things, sharing their understanding, sharing their experience, and yes, sharing their worship. But also in the gospel stories of the resurrection, you find these great commissions to go out into the world 
and share the new life of Christ and the love and the forgiveness of God with others. Last week in Mark's Gospel we heard the great command, go to Galilee where he taught you to share in the mission of God's kingdom. Go to Galilee, get on with that mission, say the things that Jesus said, do the things that Jesus did and then you will meet him. In John's Gospel, the version is, tell people that they're forgiven. Don't just remain huddled in a room with the doors locked. Gather together in order to disperse into the community round about you and into the world. And this Easter season, Thomas is our link. He wasn't physically there when Jesus first appeared. And John's Gospel has Jesus saying to Thomas, and through Thomas, it's as if Jesus is talking to Thomas and looking over Thomas's head at you and me. He says to Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have come to believe. That's you and me. We didn't physically see him before he was crucified. The resurrection appearances came to an end with Pentecost. We meet him now, but not in the same way. Blessed are you who've not seen him in that way and yet have believed and have started to act on that belief, sharing his self-giving love in the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we turn to prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, you made the hearts of the disciples glad with the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus, your Son. Forgive us, because like them, we find the truth of Easter so hard to believe. Forgive us that we're so easily downcast and given to despair. Forgive us that although we claim to live by the resurrection faith, we so often appear to believe that suffering is simply a tragedy and that death is the end. Forgive us that we take so much convincing of the hope that you have given to the world. Come to us now, Lord God, in the power of the risen Christ, Take away our crippling doubts and fears and through your Holy Spirit bring us to life in your service for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Here now, Jesus here amongst us. 
saying to us, as he said to people in that upper room, Peace be with you. Thanks be to God. Amen. Hymn number 763, See Jesus Thy Disciples See.